Welcome to the LaRouge Rugby Podcast with your hosts, Derek Brissett, Stu Hardy, and Dan Murphy. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of LaRouge Rugby Podcast. My name is Dan Murphy, and with me always is Derek Brissett. Derek, we've got uh, a lot of news. Some new MLR uh, introductions have been made with a new team in Dallas and uh, some big cancellations in the fall revolving Canadian sports and uh, a big signing from the Arrows. So uh, are you ready to talk about some rugby? Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, you know, as you mentioned, there's uh, there's a ton of news that we have to get to throughout this podcast episode. There's also a lot of excitement building up in the rugby world, too. We got the, uh, the first ever MLR draft this coming weekend. Super Rugby is back as well. So everybody out there, we get to watch some live rugby union for the first time in what feels like forever. And, you know, obviously Tyler Ardron will be at the forefront of that with the Chiefs as they take on Dan Carter and That'll just be a ton of fun to watch. Bench uh, player Dan Carter. But yeah, you know, you well, you know, you're good when you got Dan Carter coming off the bench. I think that's what Rooney was trying to go for, anyways, right? Like, oh, definitely, definitely would have made. I guess Marsh was going to retire, but so maybe, maybe Carter would have been ten. But who knows? Um, and yeah, and also too, I mean, we got a new member of the team joining us today. So, you know, kind of just like we're going to treat them the exact same way that the Blues are treating. Uh, like Bowden Barrett, Dan Carter, as they come in for the first time too. So we just want to sh- make sure we show our new member the exact same level of respect. <laughs> well, I mean, I think uh, Dan Carter's first practice was in a New Zealand rain practice. So, you know, would actually feel quite comfortable. So uh, Stu uh, is, is joining our podcast, Stu Hardy. Uh, thanks for joining us, man. We really appreciate you uh, uh, joining the Lourdes Rugby team. Thanks, gentlemen. Well, I am very honoured to be joining the podcast as well. I'm looking forward to watching rugby with you guys as well as discussing it on the podcast. So, Stu, we want to get to know a little bit more about you. Um, so, first kind of thing is, where did you grow up? Uh, you know, where did the love of rugby first kind of start for you? So, I'm originally from a town called Hales Owen which is in central England. The nearest city is Birmingham. So if you imagine a map of England and you would have put a pin right in the middle, that's Birmingham and I'm just to the left of it. Um, So my mother is Welsh, my dad is English. And so obviously being half Welsh, I was indoctrinated into the world of rugby from an early age. Obviously, uh, by being going to a British school, it is part of the physical education curriculum for um, boys between the years of ages of 12 to 16. So I was taught it on a weekly basis in school classes. And um, my dad actually used to play rugby for his university and even did a tour to North America during his summer vacation way back in the day. He, he won't want me to mention what year exactly, but uh, who, so there's, there's who always been a- on top in the series though. That's the more important thing. 
You know, I don't think he's ever told me. And I that means think, that yes, means they yes. lost. That means Absolutely. they that means they lost miserably. <laughs> if you if you um, win, you talk about it forever. That's the the only thing I know is because they played a soccer game, sorry, a football game to any British listeners, um, against one of the other university teams, and their star player arrived by helicopter. And like, oh my god! Like, is this a celebrity? Is that no? It was the school's American football kicker, but his he was so good with his boots that he was a soccer player, and then got drafted to the university team, and was now getting drafted for uh, the NFL way back when. And and to be honest, that's the extent of what my dad told me about that talk. <laughs> and much as that, he can tell me that he doesn't want to be um, incarcerated in the U.S. for. <laughs> um, um, but, but what I'm getting at is there's been a big family influence to rugby. So it's been something I've grown up with. It's something that my family um, knows very well. Obviously, the Six Nations, watch that religiously every year. And yeah, so it's a big cultural influence as well. Now, Stu, was... Was your house uh, a rugby union and rugby league family, uh, or were, were you just strictly union and that, that was that? Uh, it was strictly union. So as I said, mum's um, Welsh and uh, rugby union is the national sport of Wales. So, and my dad um, having played at a university and when he became a teacher, um, was the coach for the boys rugby team at the school he taught. Uh, so I didn't really get into league until I was probably 18 or 19. And even then it was just on a casual basis. So, right. um, so the, oh, it, because the Challenge Cup is uh, by British law has to be shown on um, free to air TV. So like BBC, ITV. Um, so it'd be when that, whenever that came on, because that was sport and because that was on TV, we'd watch it, but you know, no affiliation to any of the teams and you know, just watching it as a fan of sport more than anything else. Right. Um, now, now when you were on the pitch, what position did you play? Well, it depends on uh, different times of my career. So <laughs> when I was in my first year of university, I was a tight head prop. And then when I last played rugby, which was back in 2016, I was a fullback. I don't actually know, I don't actually know if I lost any weight along the way or if the other players were just far bigger than me. I think, I think the only more extreme transition would have been like tight head prop to scrum half. Like that's gotta be like the only bigger size discrepancy. I think it was more of an allocation of where they needed players rather than are you good in that position. So, yeah, um, we weren't good. <laughs> is all I can say. <laughs> yeah, I can tell you have you have a prop playing fullback. You probably weren't that good. Yeah, that's okay. No, I but, I, but I, yeah, my high school it was it was kind of very similar situation. So I don't yeah. Yeah. feel for you. Yeah, more more of the sociable aspect than anything else. Now, uh, Stu, you've been uh, a big fan of the Arrows uh, 
what was your favorite Arrows game to watch? And Derek, I, I think I know your answer too, but I do want to hear from you. What was your favorite Arrows game? Uh, just if you had to like go on YouTube and just pick a, pick a game and watch, which one are you choosing? The game I'd probably choose would be against the Seattle Seawolves back in April of 2019. So this is the, it was supposed to be the third home game of the Arrows. Obviously, the game against Austin got delayed due to um, weather issues with Austin. And at this point in the 2019 season, the Arrows have been inconsistent. They lost a game and won a game and lost a game and won a game. And the, the fans knew, the players knew, everyone knew that if the Arrows wanted to make the playoffs, they would have to win every game going forward. And this was the game that sealed for me that the Arrows could be big players in MLR. Because it wasn't just that they beat the Seawolves, it was the fact they beat them categorically by more than four to one. It was where you could see the best aspects of all um, the Arrows players. And it also, it ended the rut of lose one, win one, lose one, win one. This was the start of the winning run, which obviously is now the best um, winning streak in MLR to date. Yeah, and that's it. Was also a cool game with the the, the jersey ceremony with Ray Barkwell uh, before that game, which was pretty cool. Um, definitely, definitely a very memorable game. Derek, same question. You know, you're you're bored one day and you're throwing on a game from the Arrows YouTube. What which game are you putting on? Uh, it's the drop goal game. That's the best game. It's the, uh, you know, uh, I guess if, if Stu's going to say that that game, you know, that big win against Seattle kind of started their run to the playoffs. It would the, like the drop goal games, the one that ends it. Um, I think like, it was obviously, you know, what probably would have resulted in being two of the best teams in the Eastern conference this year too. Um, and maybe even a little bit of a start of a rivalry between the two teams, and, you know, just the whole way that that game played out, you know, it was there was back and forth moments of it a little bit. There was some nice tries from Rugby United New York that the Arrows had to answer of, uh, as well. And, you know, it's just the whole accumulation of what the game meant. It meant one of those teams was automatically in the playoffs. And it meant that another team was going to have to be like, you know, like laser focused on watching the other MLR games that night to see if they would get in and what their fate would be. And you never want to leave your fate in somebody else's hands. So um, that's like, I think to this day, that's the biggest win in Arrows history. And I think the Sam Malcolm drop goal at the end is the biggest like individual moment. Yeah. That was one of the first games that I, I took my dad to. Uh, that was his first pro rugby game, you know, he had seen some of my, my roommates play university rugby. He had seen me play high school rugby, but this was his first pro game. So it's got a stat. That game definitely has a special memory for me, but uh, I think that if I'm going to throw on a game and I'm going to watch it again, I think uh, the arrows game against Glendale, uh, the, the rock cancer game is just such an enjoyable game and watching Gaston Merez do his thing in that game. It was uh pretty special to watch and then for them to have those jerseys on and it was it was pretty cool um but we're gonna move on Stu. you know rugby canada 
the last, you know, few years, multiple years, it's been kind of tough to watch. But if, if you can pinpoint one Rugby Canada game that you've, you personally have watched um, that you would enjoy to watch again, which one would it be? Well, the, I've only actually seen Canada play twice. And both times they were on the losing side. One, one was more obvious, which was when they played Ireland at the 2015 Rugby World Cup. And I think it's something like Ireland got the bonus point within 30 minutes. But we all, but we all knew that Canada could put on, could put on a good, dis, a valiant display. But it was clear that Ireland were going to be walking away the victors. Um, and then the most recent time I saw them was in Hamilton when they played Leinster. And that was a close game. That was a very exciting game. It's obviously disappointing that uh, Leinster scored that final try, which tipped them over and gave them the victory. But as anyone who's been to a rugby game knows, it's more than just the game. It's the people you go with, the excitement you all share, and just the good memories you make along the way. So I think even though it was a loss for Canada, I'd say the match against Leinster on the 24th of August, 2019. Uh, Derek and I had an interesting drive down to that game. It was... Yeah, don't, don't drive with Dan ever, ever. If, what, I, like, I if you're new to the pod, Yeah, if we ever go anywhere as a podcast, too, either you or me are driving. We're not letting That's Dan fine. I, will, I agree with that fully. <laughs> I hate driving. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it, it's either me or you. All right. Okay, so that one. Okay. So listeners, we are now putting Stu to task, you know. Uh, tag Luge Rugby, tag Stu, tag Derek, tag myself on Twitter. We want to know what games should Stu watch to kind of catch up in Rugby Canada's most recent history. You know, we don't want to slog them back to some of the games, you know, from the 90s, early 2000s. Those uh, are some of the best games, though. I know. All right. Maybe you do guys, but yeah. send us some games that, that would be worth still watching. I know one game for myself was uh, during the repishage tournament, you know, their first game against Kenya was, it was a very interesting game for me because uh, you know, there's a couple young stars that, that really shone in that game uh, other than, you know, that guy, DTH Vandenberger, whoever he is, but uh, you know, Matt Tierney, Ben Lesage and Theo Sauter all had really strong games. And that was kind of the turning point for a lot of different people, uh, you, know, in, 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 you know, making their impact on Rugby Canada. So that was a, a really fun game to watch. And it is on YouTube. But uh, Derek, are there any other any games that, you, that come to mind for you? Uh, for, yeah, for me, like, I think Stu kind of went with games that he's seen live. I know he's watched more than two Rugby Canada games before, but – um yeah like for me i'm going back to the 2011 world cup the group stage game versus tonga canada won 25 to 20 they got tries from jeb sinclair arrows defense coach aaron carpenter and phil mckenzie in the final 10 minutes of the game to actually seal the victory there and that game propelled canada to their highest ever world rugby ranking of 11th and that was awesome to see and unfortunately, it's been a bit of a steady decline since that game in the world rankings. But, you know, I think I, it's one of those things where it's like, hey, like at one point we were on the verge of the top 10. And, you know, hopefully 
you know, that was only nine years ago. So hopefully, you know, one day, hopefully you can crawl back to uh, being in that top 10 discussion. And, you know, I guess th- that game just kind of sticks out because that was like, the, you know, and I think for me too, it was one of like, it was like the first world cup that I ever like really watched too. And to see Canada having success kind of helped solidify me becoming a more passionate rugby fan. And, you know, unfortunately, it, like we said, it's been a bit of a decline, but remembering that kind of gives you hope that maybe one day we can reach the, uh, at least kind of on the cusp of the top 10 someday soon. Someday. Now, Stu, you, you kind of mentioned it before when you're talking about the Leinster Canada game, what has been your experience with, with Canadian rugby fans? You know, it, it's, it's definitely uh, a, definitely a different kind of crowd than, you know, fans you'd find in the UK or, you know, your, your Welsh family members. But uh, what has it been like for you to interact with, with Canadian rugby fans? It's overall been very positive, I've got to say. Um, I think one of the things that benefits Canada is that Canada doesn't have the history of rugby that the UK does. So there's fewer territorial divides of oh, if you're from the North, you're a rugby league person. And if you're from the South, you're a rugby union person. Now, I understand, obviously, that there's a more prevalent presence of union in Canada. But I've seen people go to Arrows games and then go to Wolfpack games the next day. That person may be me as well. But ultimately, people, especially in Toronto are willing to support their city's team. They are Toronto first, rugby second. And I think that's a very good thing to have. It's a very uh, loyal drive to have. And I think in rugby as well, it's that you, you'll always get the players who are super talented. And if uh, the big money comes for them, they will think about their future and they'll go off and play in France or England for a couple of seasons. But it's great to see that the Arrows players that are Canadian are staying true to the Arrows. They're staying true essentially to Canada, to the Canadian team of the MLR. And I think fans especially are they respond well to that kind of loyalty. We've seen in NBA and the NHL and even in baseball that big players can come in for a season or a couple of seasons and then they'll go off to another team. And the fans take it well. They understand that that um, especially American players want to go back and play in America. But obviously having Canadian players for your city's team it's a returned loyalty. And I think going forward in the next uh, few seasons of MLR, that will pay dividends to the Arrows and to the fans in return. Yeah, it's quite the experience when you go online and you see, you know, union or league fans overseas kind of shocked by seeing, you know, Toronto fans going to both the Arrows and Wolfpack games. And I think that we're, we're just, we're desperate for rugby to succeed. Right. So I think it's a, out of necessity, we have to cheer for both. Um, 
but uh, you know, you're, I think you're you're definitely right, Stu, and I'm definitely not talking about Kawhi Leonard there. But um, <laughs> um, who, 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 who is this fellow that you speak of? <laughs> Never heard of him. Uh, you know, we're it, it, we're gonna move on now. Uh, I think that we've uh, pestered Stu enough about uh, you know his 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 upbringing, but uh, we are gonna move into some uh, MLR news and. Boy, was there a big announcement last week, and it was uh, that the Dallas franchise has officially branded itself and announced itself to the world. Uh, they are going to be known as the Dallas Jackals. Uh, let's get your first reaction uh, about this. You know, Derek, how do you feel about the Dallas Jackals and the branding and the colors and, and, and what have you? Uh, you know what? I am going to be a gracious host and veteran team member here and allow the uh, the rookie to uh you know take the first question just get his feet wet get a little uh get a little analysis under his belt here so Stu, he just I'll let doesn't you want he just doesn't him. want he doesn't want to disagree with you Stu. so he wants to go yeah. he wants you to go first <laughs> of course thank you very much derek that's fine I... you don't have to I, like you're not forced to do it no 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 you, no, you, you, like, you insisted i will go on I have. It's the I Canadian have, stereotypical politeness. We have to, we have to let you go first, or else, like I'm not allowed to be Canadian anymore. I lose my passport. So. <laughs> you get your Tim Hortons thing. Yeah, away. exactly. You you don't you like yeah. So that's exactly it. It's gonna get okay. revoked if I don't be polite and let you go first. All right. Well, I've got to say I love it. I think the logo is fantastic. Um, I think the color choice is great as well. The only thing I'm hoping for going forward is that neither of the kits for the 2021 season are predominantly white because I think that was an issue, especially with the Eastern Conference teams that had five of the six alternative kits as white and the only one that didn't, which was Nola Gold, was because their home kit was white. <laughs> and... I think a, a green home kit and a black away kit would look great. You know, see, this is why we want to bring Stu on because it's hilarious that the first thing he, that he comes on and complains about half the team's kits being white, which is an incredibly North American and very normal thing to me and Dan, I'm sure. Yeah, I was literally going to say the same thing. It's That is North American as yeah. apple pie and... I don't know, Nanaimo bars. I, I Apple don't know. pie I, and poutine. And like, yes, poutine. get all the countries mixed in here. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's an interesting, uh, interesting thought. I like the idea of having a black. And I mean, the nice thing about their kit, uh, their, their color, is that they chose a very light green. So, I mean, if, if they want to stick to the, we need a light color and a dark color, you've got it with that green and, and, and the black kit. Yes, absolutely. Um, and I, 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 you know what? I actually, I agree with Stu. I think that if they went with a green and a light kit or a white kit, uh, it would just be too much lightness. And I like the idea of, of them going with a predominantly black one as well. I just don't know how it's going to work in the Dallas heat. I mean, when Rugby Canada was playing in Fiji, they wanted to wear their, or, or Tonga, they wanted to wear their black kits because it helped a little bit. but. You know, Houston's I'm down black. for the black. Houston's black, and I think black before they became the Gilgronis, I think like Austin Austin's was kind of planning on, on 
they were partially yeah. black. If it just depends on when they decide to schedule their home games. I think <laughs> throwing it in there will be interesting. But uh, Derek, wh- how do you feel about this? How do you feel I, about the Dallas Jackals? I, I love it. Um, you know, it's. Uh, I think I'm a big fan of the green and black. I think it's a sharp looking color combination. Um, it kind of reminds me of the Dallas stars, uh, which I wonder if that's kind of something that maybe they were going for is a little bit of local recognition. That's been a thing that a lot of MLR teams have used. Obviously here in Toronto, the arrows went with the incredibly common blue and white color scheme. You have Seattle's with the, uh, the green and blue. Um, even like New York, they kind of took the, uh, the New York Knicks, New York Mets combination and you know so and um atlanta went with the uh, the red and black that's associated with the falcons really closely as well so there's a lot of that happening so i like the idea that they kind of went to a color combination that maybe dallas sports fans are at least somewhat familiar with um for the logo i love the logo i think it's great i think you know kind of looking at the league there's a lot of teams that are shields and letters so, you know, it's something, it's nice to see like a logo that has some uniqueness to it that doesn't really even remotely look like anything else in the league. And that also kind of leads me to my other point. I think the, the Jackals is a brilliant team name. Like when I heard it, I was like, my first thought, knowing that Jackal is a genuine rugby term was like, how has a rugby team not done this before? Like, why is there, why is Jackals not like, of a more common name in rugby like I it was actually really um kind of like I can't believe nobody's ever thought of this um sort of thing and you know that's the one thing I do really like about it is that it's a super unique name to begin with um like none of the other major leagues have a team called the Jackals there is a team in the ECHL called the Elmira Jackals so they're you know the third tier of hockey in North America but that's the only other name that I can think of. So it is super unique, but obviously the fact that Jackal is a genuine rugby term for when like, you know, you get over the tackle player and steal the ball cleanly. Like that's, that's a Jackal. So it's a good team name. You can get away with like 99% of animals as a good team name anyways. But (laughs) the fact that you can then duplicate that as the fact that a Jackal is a genuine rugby term, I think just kind of ties it all together and is quite brilliant. I absolutely love it. Yeah. It's probably my favorite branding in MLR, to be honest with you. Yeah, and I, I think that one of the reasons why it's not used in other sports is like a tackle is not a very intimidating animal. I mean, they're they're kind of small. They're kind of scavengers. They kind of hunt like you know smaller things. But like in rugby, it's just so perfect. Like it, it it's on the nose in terms of you know like the playful. You know, it's a rugby term, but it's also an animal. So I, I agree with you. Um, so the next thing I want to ask about this is they're going to be playing in quite a large stadium to start. I believe uh, in, in one of the articles written about it, it's a 40,000 seat stadium. Uh, 48, correct me? 48. 48,000 more. Yeah. Oh boy. How do we it's feel big. about that, guys? Like that's, that's a lot for a team that might pull in. I mean, Houston was pulling around 2,000. You know, at this, their home games this year, do we really think that a new expansion team is going to even amass over three thousand? Well, empty. I think I think Derek should take this after he so graciously allowed <laughs> me to answer the first question. All right, all right, I can take this one. Um, but okay, so to start off, yeah, it's way too big. 
it's obviously way too big. The LA Giltinis, same like they were saying that they haven't confirmed it, but they were saying they're looking at playing in the LA Coliseum. That's I think seventy something thousand seats. That's also way too big. It's way um, the Giltinis. I feel like maybe there's somewhere smaller in LA that you could play. The for the Jackals, the thing that like they had proposed a plan to build a stadium somewhere within Dallas that would be a more of a, an appropriate size. However, unfortunately, it looks like those plans have kind of fell through. And now obviously like COVID-19 is just delaying all kinds of construction projects across the world now as well. And, you know, I think in saying this, I think the Jackals are just taking advantage of who their owners are. Um, so for those that don't know, um, the Jackals are owned by uh, Neil Liebman and Donnie Nelson. Uh, Liebman is the co-owner of the Texas Rangers of Major League Baseball, and Nelson is the president and GM of the Dallas Mavericks of the NBA. Um, so Globe Life Park is more commonly known as the ballpark in Arlington. And that is where the Texas Rangers have been playing since the early 90s. And they built a brand new stadium directly across the street called Globe Life Field, which has got to be somewhat kind of confusing for like male delivery men or something, having two buildings named identical things directly across from each other that are both baseball stadiums. But so Globe Life Field was supposed to open up this year and be the new home of the Texas Rangers from 2020 going forward. Unfortunately, obviously, COVID-19 has delayed the Major League Baseball season, so the Texas Rangers haven't necessarily actually been able to use their new facility, but they were on their way out. The Globe Life Park, the Rangers' ownership, Liebman and the Rangers' ownership group to bring in Globe Life Park, they brought in the XFL's Dallas Renegades. They kind of added like a temporary like sort of bleacher thing along the sideline to help configure it a little bit for a better football shape of a stadium. And then obviously the XFL's had to cancel their season due to COVID. And now they've had, you know, their own issues as well. And it's, you know, they the league folded. And then I think I saw somewhere that maybe they were, there's an attempt to maybe bring it back, but as of right now it's folded. And I think with Globe Life Park being owned by the Texas Rangers and therefore being owned by Liebman, who now also owns the Jackals, I think because their initial stadium plan fell apart, it makes sense from the perspective of the guys that own the Jackals own a stadium that nobody uses right now. So is it too big? Yes. But because the owner of the Jackals own, also owns that stadium, the Texas Rangers still own Globe Life Park. So Liebman still owns Globe Life Park. So I feel like a big part of that is just, is it too big? Yes, but we already own it. So we might as well use it until we can get a more appropriate stadium built is how I look at it anyways. Right. And, and we'll see, you know, some, some people have made it work. I mean, I know with uh, the, the stadium that um, the NOLA Gold used, they kind of tarped off certain areas and it made it look a lot more approachable. I mean, there's ways that can be done. You can put advertising on those tarps and, you know, make it seem smaller than it is. So it's definitely doable. Um, so we'll see how it turns out. That's for sure. Um, Stu, how do you feel about this? You know, like, 
Do you think they maybe should have held off for another year and kind of waited and that kind of delays your plans and, and making money? Um, I think, I think that COVID has just thrown not so much a spanner into the works, but the entire toolbox <laughs> and the team was prepared to launch in 2021 and if they and i've read the articles saying yes they wanted to build a stadium which had the capacity of three and a half thousand so less than uh, a tenth of what uh, this of globe life is offering um from what i've seen from the stadium plans for when it was the xfl they have a grandstand or bleachers sorry um opposite the pitch that is closer and more intimate than the baseball um seating behind it and i and as somebody who's worked in sports television before if you can get a camera to face those fans and get the action from that side then it could give off a good atmosphere for television audiences and likewise as uh, both of you were saying if you can um, use the rest of the space for advertising that will obviously bring in more money and i and i feel like they didn't want to do this but they're being forced to do this it is a cost-cutting measure it is using what's available to you i think obviously having a three and a half thousand seater stadium is going to look and sound much better than even three and a half thousand fans in a 40 plus thousand seater stadium but i can see i can see them working with it i can see them using obviously as you're saying northern gold have done it well uh, because they own their stadium unlike new york who have to share it so i'm i'm curious to see what uh, jackals will do but i'm looking forward to it one thing I will say is I'm the one good thing that came out of the cancellation of the MLR season was I'm glad I don't have to, I, I can delay the scene, the Rooney field once again in their awkward diamond in the middle of the field. <laughs> one of the reasons why I never watched the Oakland Raiders because it was so frustrating to watch their home games. You know, the, the, the thing with the Raiders though, was, was like, that was like actual dirt on the field. It's weird yeah. realizing that like, you know, at MCU Park, it's like turf painted brown as opposed to actual dirt, which is why they can play rugby on it, which is I'm just like, that's just kind of odd. Um, it's got to be weird playing baseball on that too, if I recall correctly. Oh, yeah. You don't get that, that nice uh, clay stain on your pants. You just get rubber balls everywhere. It's one of the least favorite things about playing on turf. It's like you go to have a shower after a game or a practice and you've got turf balls everywhere. Yeah. And I think just one last thing, I guess, to kind of add on Globe Life Park, I've seen like just on various like fan pages and Reddit and stuff. It seems like there might be a small concern within some of the Dallas rugby fans about the fact that they're playing in Arlington. So I guess it's like some people are kind of voicing that it might be difficult to get to. Now I've never been to Dallas or Texas in general, so I don't really know what it is like to get around there, but I thought seeing a couple fans like voice their opinion on that is kind of 
interesting, which may also speak to why they were looking at playing in a smaller stadium actually within Dallas as well. Right. But, uh, but yeah, ultimately I think, I think that's probably part of the thing that MLR has to be looking at as far as like when new franchises want to come in is it's like, you know, like where do you want to play? And then maybe where's your potential plan B, right? So just in order to, you know, have that full assessment of where the ownership group lies and what they're able to actually put forward for the league and for the team themselves. And, you know, at the end of the day too, it's, you know, this was a stadium that was used by a major league baseball team. So some of the facilities in it, I would imagine are kind of nice. So that might actually be like, you know, maybe, maybe they can actually turn that around if they're looking at like signing free agents and stuff. Cause you know, you could be like, Hey, like, come play for us look at the facilities that we have this is what your locker room looks like this could be like what the gym looks like at the stadium um you know if you can use that to leverage it then maybe that's a a benefit for your team too it's kind of like you know houston's going to be able to use their stadium to as a draw to get players to come in now i mean that was one of the benefits to glendale that players have talked about is the facilities and you know, uh, that it was one of the only rugby pitches in the world. That's why they were able to have such a strong team the first season. And, you know, it, I think that that's a really interesting point, Derek. And MLR teams have had to work around this before. I know um, uh, Seattle had to do, like, busing uh, because there was very little parking and, and their, bu- their pitch is kind of outside of Seattle. I remember Austin – uh, in their second season had to do some busing because again their pit their field was outside of Austin and, and they did like a little bit of a uh, clubhouse pickup system so that is a very interesting point and it'll be interesting to see how they um, adjust to that now something else that's very interesting that has to do with the Jackals is there was a expansion draft slash Colorado Raptor you know Lost and found bin that uh, was dispersal draft the is the word that you're looking for. No, I like the lost and found bin. <laughs> lost and like, found. Oh, bin. look, I found a Luke White that's my perfect size. I'm gonna take him over <laughs> Washington and wear him to school tomorrow. Um, but yes, members uh, that were willing to be uh, dispersed uh, were added to uh, LA and Dallas, and one was an already kind of announced by American America's Rugby News, and that was. Uh, Oh boy, I'm blanking on his name. Blake Rogers. Blake Rogers. Thank you, Derek. I always can count on you. Um, <laughs> That's the I'm official gonna, one, though. That's official just the official one. The only they, official. They did one. announce more, and I'm, I'm sure at the draft they'll probably do a little "How do you do hoopla" uh, announcement. But I'm going to put you guys in the arm seat of a you are a GM or director of rugby or Graham Poobah, whatever name you want to give yourself, and I'm going to say I can give you one Colorado Raptor that you're going to add to your Dallas Jackals or L.A. Guiltinis, L.A. Royals, hopefully, team. <laughs> who are you going to add? Who, who, is, who are you going to pluck from the Raptors to add to your team? We're going to go with Stu first because he's, he's the new guy and he gets to choose first because I said so. Okay. If it's L.A., Digby Ioane. Because he's technically a Colorado Raptor. He, he is, but... Uh, man, he never still, played. LA, but... LA is still in the United States, though. So there is still that, that mm-hmm. big passport issue if yeah. you wanted to take uh, <laughs> Digby Ione. It is still uh, a part of the United States. Okay, then if it's 
uh, Americans only. I'd say I'm not saying uh, Americans only. I'm just concerned that Big Bione was not able to get his passport. Well, well to avoid or the not visa his passport, issue, his visa. To avoid that visa issue, I'd pick Mika Cruz, who is the 21-year-old lock. Um, no, sorry, not lock. He's a <laughs> getting getting mixed up with uh, another player, but um, he's a center. That's what I was thinking. 21-year-old center. He's yet to be capped by the Eagles. He has played for the Eagles, but in only in uncapped games, so against the um, Maori All Blacks. And I and this is the Welsh side coming through for me, and uh, Gatlin's influence is treating the same as Jamie Roberts, because um, I know Cruz has also played on the wing and sometimes on the fullback. I'd say just keep him in center, build him up, and make him a crash ball center, and he can make a world of difference, not just for the Jackals or whichever team he ends up with, but also for, for the Eagles themselves. Derek, who are you picking? Yeah, um, damn, I shouldn't have I shouldn't have made fun of the Digby Ione comment because uh, <laughs> I uh, I was gonna say Mika Cruze as well. Um, Cruze, obviously, uh, you know, um, if he's played cent- like I, my memories of Mika Cruze are like his unreal, uh, like he torched the arrows on the wing in that the final game of the 2020 season there, picking up a try. Um, I personally, um, I like his skill set as a winger. Um, and I think, you know, for me too, like he's, a, he's born in 1998. So he's still young, one of the younger players in the league. And like, I think if, sick. if you want sick to you say that Derek, that 1998 <laughs> is young, Jeez, no, man. that like that we've got 1998 kids that are like, we got 2000 kids in this league. There's 2000 kids in this league. Um, and, uh, let, yeah, let me break out the Zimmer frame. Yeah, Zach, Zach Godfrey, Charlie Hola, man, they're two thousand born. They're all in. They're all in the league, man. They're coming. They're coming. They're on rosters, anyways. They're on rosters. Um, but yeah, so I like Mika Cruz as a winger. I think uh, you know to get that scoring touch, you get a young player. Hopefully, you can kind of. But if I'm not going to steal um, from Stu, um, so I think obviously Renee Ranger. If you want some of that marketing, just to toss an All Black on your team right away, it's basically the same reason I'm sure Stu was looking at Digby Ione. Um, but I'm going with a guy that actually managed to get his passport there. And similarly too, I would also go with maybe a guy like Sam Slates. Uh, you know, he's been a solid back role for Colorado and, you know, he's a former like under 20 all black as well. He's still young. He's just a 97 born 23 years old as well. And, you know, like, I think that's kind of where I would be looking. It's like, you want those, like, I think in a weird way, like, I think it's like, if you can get some guys, obviously you need some veteran presence on new teams, expansion teams, but I also think like, you know, why not go after some of the, uh, the younger players in the league just to, you know, you can start to build something now, like build your team from the ground up, go with, uh, you know, put some of those, those younger guys in key positions, but uh, but I mean, also too, like John Ryberg, I mean, I'm sure he's not going to have any trouble getting a job in major league rugby um, just because the, the dude scores in bunches. So um, those are a couple of the other guys that I would be looking at. You know, you, you can teach defense. You can teach, you know, kicking to a certain degree. You can't teach pure unadulterated raw muscle. And so I'm going sure with Johnny Ryberg. It's called a strength and conditioning coach. Yeah, but that's his whole job John is Ryberg. to teach muscle. <laughs> his <laughs> literal jo- the strength and conditioning coach's literal job is to teach that and train that. Him. 
No, no, but like <laughs> you can get muscles, but you cannot get like Johnny Ryberg. I'm also like part Holstein cow muscles. Like the guy is, the guy has the body of a prop and he's running like he's a winger. Like he's just a physical specimen. And, it, and he just needs to work on two things. He needs to work on his tackling. He's, and he needs to work on his kicking. He needs to work he, on his positioning too. Houston kind of executed him from the, uh, with the high ball in their yeah. first game of the season. You can work on that. Yeah. He just needs the right coach. And those are things that, that are coachable. You fix them, guy's going to be an eagle. Muscles I, are coachable too. Muscles can be coachable. They're coachable can too. Be. I don't. All right. Well, whatever. <laughs> moving on. Moving on. So, Stu, this is what Dan does when I prove him wrong on a point. Is you did not prove me wrong. He just. He's just like you know what I mean. We're done talking about this subject. We're going to move on to something else. That inevitably Dan also doesn't know anything about either, and he gets angry about me correcting him. Then we got to move on to like our next thing. That's basically how the podcast works. So. Welcome aboard. It's simple. I hope you're following along, and I hope you're uh, getting used to our formula here. Yeah. Oh, good. Oh, good. How dare you? Okay, guys. That, well, that's listen. the real reason why he wanted you to speak first on those points. <laughs> we are going to uh, keep you two knuckleheads in the armchair of a GM, and you are given an expansion team. You can be the the Kansas City scouts or the or stealing the NHL Uber millionaires or whoever you want. I wonder, actually, is Stu, are you aware that those are former NHL teams? I am now. <laughs> actually, the millionaires, I don't think we're an NHL team. They were a PC. They just want a Stanley Cup. They won a Stanley Cup in 1915, but that was – they were still a PCHA team back then, though. All right. But, okay. Yes, there we go. So, <laughs> Hockey history lessons for Stu. We got to make him feel all Canadian here. Um, ship him over like a box of poutine and hockey trivia. You don't want that. Yeah, you don't want. <laughs> I'm going to blow past that because that's disgusting. But you are given the ability to pick three players. And Derek was very particular about this. So they have to be age 23 and under on this day. Or did we say at the start of the season? We said at the start of the 2021 season. All right, sorry. Season. Age 23 and under at the start of the 2021 MLR season. Who do you pick? And there must be three things. They either have to have already played for MLR or have played for the U.S. or Canadian, either under 20 or have been capped by either country with the senior teams, which typically you already play for those because the senior team. So, so, so my question with this, though, it, like there's no restrictions on it. It's just like – Players under 23 and under from anywhere. There's no restrictions on. So Stu could use Digby Ione and we don't have to worry about the, well, not that he's 23 and under, but like we don't have to worry about passport issues and stuff. Uh, has, to, has to play for Canada or the U.S. Or in MLR already. Or in MLR already. Right, so the, the visa issue is covered, supposedly. All right. Well, about other contracts? We don't consider other contracts? It's just anybody? Derek, you're taking a fun thing and you're making it not fun. All right. I'll let Stu talk. All right. Well, I, as I mentioned, uh, Mika Cruz or Mika Cruze, um, if uh, Mr. Cruz or Cruze is watching and listening, uh, if you would like to uh, inform us of how you pronounce your last name, please do. Um, I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure it's Cruze. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll let him know that 
Derek is <laughs> the authority. Um, but as I said, Mika Kruse is uh, 21 years old, so he would be 23 and under by the start of the 2021 season. As I said, I uh, would definitely rate him highly. Um, my second choice, and I'm imagining I'm a very wealthy GM and I can buy players out of their current contracts because I believe he just signed for two years with um, Rugby ATL, is uh, Connor Keyes, um, who will be, who is 22 at the moment, I believe. And um, when I've seen him play earlier this season, I think he's been fantastic. Obviously a Canadian, because my team will also be based in Canada as well. I just wanted to make that clear. Um, and the third choice is someone who doesn't play in MLR at the moment, but did last season. And going back to my Welsh roots, is currently in Cardiff. I think you guys know who I'm talking about. It's Avery Oiterman, the Oiterman Empire. Bring him back. Bring him into this new team. He's, what, 20, 21? Yeah, yeah, I definitely. Yeah, and um, considering his amazing performance in the 2019 season i think it'd be a good thing to have him back in major league rugby you're breaking a few hearts of some arrows fans by making that choice uh Stu. but uh, i think that's a that's a great pick you know uh gain a little bit of experience overseas i don't know how far they got into their season but uh very very good choice um and you know the, the nice thing about uh, avery is when he did spend some time with the U-20s, he was also playing a little bit of fullback with, uh, with the Canadian team. So seeing him kind of playing in a different position was also fun as well. Now, uh, Derek, you are up, my friend. Who are you picking to you know, cement and start your franchise? Uh, all right. Well, Cole Keith, I'm going to start with him. He's a 97 born, so he'll, be, he'll hit that 23 and under threshold for the start of the season. You need your uh, you need your tight head prop, man. You need the uh, you need to solidify that scrum. Scrums scrums win championships in MLR, as Seattle has proven a couple times. So, and you know what? For my money, for what my money is worth, Cole Keith was the best tight head prop in Major League Rugby last season. So, um, if I am I'm able to take anybody off anybody based on the rules of this game, I'm going to take Cole Keith. Um, I'm also going to take Will Persilier. Um, I will, you know, steal him back from France, um, you know, take that 21-year-old uh, and, uh, you know, scrum half, get that skill position covered. Um, you know, I think that's one of those things that, you know, we, we kind of got to do in North America a little bit is we got to help develop some of these, the younger players that have, go, that are at those really skilled positions. Um, so, you know, it would be like, that's where I would kind of go for it, take that. So take my prop, take my skilled scrum half. And then, dang, I was going to honestly bring away the min back too. Stu keeps stealing my picks here. Um, you know, so I think I will, you know what? I will take, I'm just going to look at back at my list because now I have to figure this out. <laughs> Thanks, Stu. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Sorry. Sorry. That's all. It's all good. It's all good. Uh, you took Cruze and Oideman, eh? You just went for the full, the full back three, the back three of dominance there. Um, you know what? I think I, you know, I'm going to take Sam Slade. I'll take a, uh, I'll go back to the Colorado well there. 
and uh, you know grab a back row player. So I'll take the uh, the, the prop, the back row, and then the uh, the scrum half to kind of tie it all together. Like I said, scrums win championships, so you need some of those good forwards <laughs> in there, and then you need the guy to distribute the ball to the backs when the forwards have done their work. So um, I'll take uh, Priscilla, Slade, and Keith there. Why not? So you know the uh, like we said, the M- first MLR draft is this weekend. So. You know, maybe we'll see some more trades. Maybe we will see the start of a franchise with some of these drafts. So it'll be a lot of fun to watch. That's for sure. Wait, now, you're, not, you're not telling us who you're picking? Oh, I didn't make a list. I just want to hear you two work it out. Oh, uh, no. Maybe you're making a list. You're making a list right now, I think. That's the uh, – right. what do you yeah. think, Stu? By the end of this – I think that's fair. This, I think yeah, that's yeah, fair. no. It's, yeah, exactly. Stu is the new, the new guy. So if he wants a list – you got you to gotta go. And you By can't the, take anybody that we have already said. That's fine. By the end of this episode, I will have a list. How's All right. that? All right. I'll, I'll hold you to okay. it. Okay. But the next thing we're going to talk about. Dan's just about to let us talk about this next topic. He's going to shut off his like, monitor here yeah, and you just guys let us go. <laughs> but, uh, you know, some sad news has kind of befallen us in the last few days uh, when it comes to rugby in Canada. Um, both the OCAA and the CCAA uh, and U Sports have canceled all of their fall sports. Now, that falls in different categories and in different ways because in Canada, um, the, the U Sports runs the women's rugby. So there is provincial championships and then a national championship, whereas in the university levels, OUAs uh, covers the men's rugby there. And then um, we'll have Derek kind of talk about the BC universities so they've got a strange little setup but what does this all mean for the development of players you know it's it's really sad to think about some of these guys that are in their fourth years or their master programs and they're not going to have a season yeah i mean it kind of sucks um i think you know Stu kind of touched on it when we were talking about the uh, jackal stadium it's like covid's you know kind of wreaked havoc on pretty much every area of life and, you know, the, you know, with what's going on in the world right now, the uh, cancellation of rugby games seems incredibly low on the uh, priority list. So it's, you know, tough to really complain about it too much. But, um, but yeah, like, I think for a lot of those athletes, like, it, it, is, a, it is a tough go. It's like there's going to be no university-level rugby until 2021 anywhere, um, which, you know, is, is kind of a devastating thing, obviously as you said, it was like, you kind of just saw the announcements sort of trickle out a lot over the day and U sports canceled theirs first, um, which is just men's ru- or women's rugby. And then, you know, all the, the OUA canceled all the events that they sanction as well. And then, you know, U- the UVic Vikes, they put out an announcement that specifically named that they would be canceling their men's rugby program for the year too, which UVic and UBC play in the BC Premier League. So alongside like, you know, teams like the Castaway Wanderers and things like, and uh, James Bay, things like that. Um, so they, and obviously Pacific Pride as well, plays in the BC Premier League. So they're in a little bit of a more unique situation um, as they're not really in like an all university league there, but they do participate in the Canadian University Men's Rugby Championships. 
and those are also canceled. They, that organization um, put out a specific letter saying like they're going to follow suit and they're canceling everything. They did mention though that on June 1st, like within the announcement that said that they were canceling it, they did say on June 1st that they put in another application to be granted the full use, to have men's rugby granted full use sports status. So that's a nice thing to hear that they were able to, you know, at least get the application and everything done. But yeah, it's unfortunate, man. It sounds like there's going to be no, no collegiate rugby. Um, this, you know, also canceled like U sports went like all out. Like there's nothing that's left unturned here. Um, the, probably the three biggest events that they oversee are the Mitchell bowl, the UTech bowl and the Vanier cup. And those are all gone too. So there's going to be, you know, there's, U sports in the fall is obviously it's going to be hurting a lot. Those sports like hockey and basketball that kind of go over the two semesters aren't able to start up until January at the earliest as well. Um, so, you know, I think when you kind of look at from the U sports announcement, when they announced that they're canceling the Vanier cup, you know, like there's no way any other sport is surviving that, or they're not even thinking about having other sports. I think, to me though, like one of the, I guess, like the side things is just um, like my girlfriend is going, is going back to school next year. And she's been in talks with like her, like her school and the program that she's going into. And they're talking about how like the fall semester might be like all online. And, you know, if that's the decision that the schools are going to make that they're not even going to allow students to come to the school to, you know, do normal academic things like go to the classroom, go to the library, use any of the other academic facilities that a school typically has. So if they're not going to allow students to do that, like they're not going to allow students to participate in sports. And, you know, it's, it's unfortunate. There's a lot of players that are losing out on uh, a year of top level rugby now but it's tough to complain about. Like, what do you do? It's COVID. That's, that's the reason. Like you have, like, there's nothing, it's tough to complain about it. It just, it just sucks, I guess. And, and Steve, you know, this, this is kind of a, it's going to do it and have lasting effects in the COVID-19 throughout sports and throughout rugby. Um, do you how, how do you feel about this as someone kind of coming looking from the outside from you know, not being as familiar with these programs um, and kind of being looking from the outside in with uh, the uh, college university programs? I do feel for all the players that would be going into their final year or their master's year and being denied the opportunity to play these sports but at the same time as Derek mentioned it's minor things compared to the bigger issue at hand and I know we're getting super rugby this weekend and that's um, down in New Zealand and they're even having uh, crowds in attendance because they've successfully eliminated uh, COVID-19 from their population. Now, it may be a case of something may happen in the near future, but um, for the time being, they're perfectly fine. And it will probably be the case of these things that have big groups of people in 
uh, public spaces won't be allowed in North America, never mind Canada, until a suitable treatment is found for COVID-19 or a vaccine is made. And this is the reality of the situation that we're in. And I, as I said, I do feel for these students who have been denied this social aspect, because I especially think at university level, or from my experience at university level, it's a very sociable thing. It's playing with your friends, it's celebrating with your friends as well. Uh, commiserating, which is almost the same as celebrating at a university level, I've got to say. But the important thing is that people are safe and healthy until we know exactly how to treat this virus. And until then, these things have to be put to the side. Yeah, that's, that's very true. And I know the effect that, you know, finishing your last season has uh, on, on these athletes, you know, um, some of my best friends played for our, our, our university that we went to school. And at the time, Trent University was playing in the college division, OCAA, and uh, they, in their last year, won the championship. And I know it meant to a lot of, a lot of those guys. So uh, my heart goes out to all those players that didn't get that chance and, you know, uh, if anyone's really interested in learning more about kind of the impact that university rugby can has on players, uh, the Ath athletes perspective um, podcast uh, interviewed um, Andrew Quatrin and talking about the transition from, you know, junior level rugby to becoming a pro and playing at the world cup. And uh, Andrew talks in great detail about his experience as a Wilfred Laurier, how he, he actually almost went to Trent and, the, the impact the coaches and his teammates had and what brought him to, you know, rugby Ontario and then, you know, the arrows and then rugby Canada. So a very, very interesting uh, perspective in that sense. So guys, I, I've got my team. I've got it all together. Oh, Derek, what, what, what's up? I just, before, before we get to your team there, which I could tell that you were uh, constructing with the way that you asked Stu that question. I think you called him Steve at one point, but I didn't want to make fun oh, of you too sorry, much. So. <laughs> um, it happens. Yeah. But uh, so I could tell that you were deep in thought on that team. But I think like the one thing too is like, I think for a lot of these like university students and stuff, like the, the reason that Canadians aren't eligible for the MLR draft is strictly on visa issues. And those visa issues could potentially be, you know, fixed in the event that Major League Rugby gets, you know, the, I think it's $10 million of revenue. And like if Major League Rugby is able to kind of sort that out and Canadians are able to have an easier time getting visas by say like the next MLR draft, then, you know, you're kind of looking at all the university rugby players in Canada winning the plate. Um, so that might you know, that might guarantee now, like, who knows, maybe that guarantees that Canadians can't be eligible for an MLR draft until 2022 at minimum now. Like, I don't know what kind of, like, I mean, that's just, I'm completely speculating on that and just kind of, I'm just kind of like trying to look into the future and wonder what the overall impacts of it could be. But yeah, like right now we have, like the university rugby players aren't going to be playing rugby next year. And that could have a big impact. I wonder if, you know, I wonder, like, the Toronto Arrows are looking at playing exhibition games in the fall, and I wonder if 
they try to get something going for the arrows academy just to kind of like because if they're they're able to operate that outside of U sports and like you know if um they're able to maybe like if obviously this is dependent on if we're actually allowed to play rugby in the fall which you know again who knows at this point in time but you know like i wonder if that will kind of get the arrows wanting to like let's get some of these guys that are in the academy program a game you know even if it just ends up they did divide the academy into east and west so maybe there's a potential to do like an east versus west game just within ontario within those with those academy guys or you know maybe maybe get something going with pacific pride just to kind of get these guys back on a field at some point but you know again like who knows when we're actually going to be playing rugby um rugby canada kind of issued an update just before the podcast or just before we started recording the podcast about their update to the return to play things or the return to play plan and it was basically still just like yep we're still locked like we still can't play rugby um and that they're still coming up with the you know the formula as a whole which um they've said that they'll give us no later than june 30th so um still plenty of time to get that to us but it's you know, it's just, I think the the one thing that really is just kind of like it for a lot of people, it's like, they're not playing rugby again, maybe unless you play with your club, if your club's able to get back up and going, but there could be a lot of guys that are like, they're not playing rugby for quite some time now. So that's, that, and that is a great point, Derek. And it's all wait and see, and we don't know. And, and, and for guys that are, trying to make that next jump into, you know, the next level of rugby, it's going to be extremely difficult to kind of gauge where they're going. And other than just staying fit, you know, what more can you do? Okay. So my team or my, my under 23 players that I have picked, uh, I, I went with Derek's method and I picked a prop young, a 99, an American, David Anu. You know, played under 20s with the Americans and has been capped since with the United States team. Interesting point while I was looking him up. Apparently, he had agreed to join the Seattle Seawolves for their first season, but then got his offer with Toulouse and jumped ship, which, honestly, who could blame him? That's pretty sweet to go live in France. So that is my my first pick. Um, My second pick, I'm going to the Arrows, and I'm picking uh, Brock Webster. He will be 23 when the season next starts, I believe, I think he's in November. Uh, I guess next season he won't. Whatever, I don't care. And then my last <laughs> pick is Thomas Asherwood, who played with the U20s this year. Greasy Mullet played fullback after Oideman got hurt and uh, was very impressive and also has been playing some sevens. Um, look up his highlights. He's quite the interesting hairstyles. Uh, I think with a hairstyle like that, that shows commitment and a little bit of uh, – pride so i've got my my full my fly half my fullback and i've got a prop to shore up my my scrum Derek Good picks there you go i mean yeah we're me and Stu are pit, picking guys based off their rugby ability you're like yeah this guy's got a sweet mullet that's on my team so <laughs> I mean, it works for Andrew Quatrin. It's going to work for Ash. It does. It does. Andrew Quatrin, 96. He just barely, barely missed the, uh, the under 23 by the start of next season cuts. Same thing with Lesage. He's a, he's a 20, he's 24. It's just, just outside. Yeah. Just outside of this. But um. now let's actually get into the arrows because uh, they made a, an interesting 
uh, signing. Um, they signed Adrian Wadden from Mississauga, Ontario. Was uh, spending his time overseas in the UK playing some university rugby. Uh, he's been capped, capped, I'm using air quotes, by the uh, Canada A team when they did their tour before the repechage. Derek, what kind of player are we getting with, with Adrian? You know, what, what is he going to bring to the Arrows? Yeah, I mean, you're getting a very skillful lock. Um, it's something that the – one of the things that he can bring to the table, um, as you mentioned, he played – he played, obviously, played in the UK. Um, he's played for the Oakville Crusaders, played for the Ontario Blues. So, you know, he's familiar with that Arrow system, um, which, you know, obviously they love bringing in Blues alumni guys, especially guys that have – you know, they've gone overseas. They brought back Dan Moore. Now they're bringing back Adrian Wadden. Um, and – you know, one thing that he can really kind of bring to the table that the arrows don't necessarily have is a line out jumping lock. Um, you know, he's a uh, Aaron Carpenter. Uh, when I asked him about it, he mentioned like Wadden's, you know, quick footwork and his skill that allows him to get up in the air re really easily. He, you know, is able to just, he's good at disrupting opponents in the line outs as well as reeling in your own ball. And I think that's just, you know, he, He's a player that can play a position, but he can play that position in a slightly different way than all the guys that the Arrows have, which can bring just another added element. It's a, obviously, you know, with Wadden, it is a depth signing, but, you know, the fact that he is a lock that can jump in the lineup is something that the Arrows don't really have. Uh, Mike Shepard definitely doesn't do it. Um, his, you know, I loved his quote on that episode of the classics when you said, like, my role in the lineup is to be nowhere near it. Um, <laughs> So he does I thought, a few, a couple lifts here and there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But it's like he does. He definitely he gives lifts, and obviously, like when he said that, I mean, like there was a there was a comedic tone to it. Obviously, Mike Shepard does more than just not be in lineouts. Um, but it was just kind of like the way that he did say it was just kind of funny, and I think. But uh, yeah, Cellini had one lineout take all year. Um, Tom Van Horn had none. Um, and, you know, like they, the arrows rely heavily on their back row for their lineout jumpers with um, Della Vega was second in the league. He had 34 lineout takes. Um, and then obviously Rumball, Diana, they were the next two guys up. Um, Colby Francis, I guess, depend, like he plays back row and lock. I, he, obviously he played lock when Shepard um, was suspended. I think, I personally kind of think he might be better suited for uh, eight man um in that kind of backup role but um you know he's able to play both and I think too there is a little bit of versatility with Wadden as well as Wadden is able to play blindside flanker too so you know you kind of I think I really like the signing it's like obviously a good depth move for the Toronto Arrows you get a player that's from the Blues so you know he's played the system already he's his signing was just announced, but he has been with the Toronto Arrows for quite some time. Um, and basically he's been at training sessions for pretty much the whole year. Um, so like, you know, he can play the system, you know, he's familiar with the system. Um, you know, he got to play for Leeds Becky university, which is great. He got, um, he did play for the, the, the national team when they played that, um, that game against Oxford on the way to the Repishaws tournament. Um, I believe, Dan, you mentioned that he hasn't actually been capped yet. But the fact that he actually played for the team is still kind of cool. Um, hopefully, you know, he'll get capped one day. If, um, but, yeah, like that's kind of where I kind of look at Wadden is it's, 
you know, it's a depth player that could potentially, you know, fill a void and, you know, has a style of play that doesn't necessarily look like what the Toronto Arrows currently have. So that's, those are the perfect players to go out and acquire. Now, uh, Stu, this is a question for you. And as a fan, how does it feel that the Arrows are bringing back Canadians from overseas to play pro rugby in Canada? And, you know, Adrian's not the first, you know, young Canadian that they've brought over. I mean, Will Kelly was training with the Dragons, and now he is uh, back with with the Arrows. And, I mean, Dan yeah. Moore, Dan Moore was, was, was uh, flying his trade overseas and, you know, he's a little bit older. I mean, we're not going to call him a prospect. We're not going to call him a young guy. But, you know, how does it feel to have these guys come back and, and, and ply their trade here in, in, in Ontario and Canada? I think ultimately it's a good thing. I would say if you'd ask the British rugby public if they knew any Canadian players, there's probably three names that come to mind. Uh, Tyler Ardron, uh, Jeff Hassler, and DTA Trandamoa. And the connection that all those three have is that none of them now play in any of the British leagues. It's true. So I, so I think, um, first of all, bringing Dan, the wing in the north, more back to Toronto is, was a great move because and I think there were issues at Yorkshire Carnegie, which were you know, beyond anyone's control. So bringing Dan, who had that uh, English championship experience, is great. And I think it is a net gain for the Arrows. So any of these players that have been playing in the European leagues and have that experience can bring it over. And I always feel that the uh, best players are also teachers. So it's those skills that they've learned from the European leagues they bring over, they um, use those and then coaches pick up on that and then we'll show the other Canadian players and other Arrows players, this, okay, we're going to go with this because we think that this can be successful. I remember um, the Arrows talking on the Classics uh, match about the, just before the drop, um, they were talking about how for a few weeks beforehand they've been preparing to set up for a drop goal. And so when it was about five minutes before uh, Sam Malcolm took the drop goal, the coaches realised what was going on. And it's those kind of skills that we as Arrows fans want to see in our league because having come from watching the English Premiership, the Pro 14, the Top 14, and bits of Super Rugby when they're at a convenient time for me to watch. It's good to see that level of playing style come over to MLR because when my friends have asked me, oh, what would you say, how would you rate Major League Rugby? I say it's great fun, but there are, you know, handling errors, there's... Um, bit more there's kids driving um mini bikes onto the field to give the ref the ball and you so know with that that's not that oh i'm not saying that's, that's wrong i'm What's saying that? Yeah. i'm not saying it's wrong i'm just saying it's different from a uh, an audience the other side of the atlantic but um 
the most important thing is that you want to raise the level of the quality of play in MLR because that will not only have a direct effect on the league, it will also have a direct effect on the national teams as well. So come the 2023 World Cup, the 27 World Cup, the 2031 World Cup, these will be the skills from the European teams and the players that have played in those European teams coming over teaching the Canadian and US players and it's just going to be a net benefit to everyone. Derek, you want to say something, buddy? Oh, no, I was just uh, kind of going going off of what Stu was saying there that, uh, yeah, like, I mean, it's, it's great to see guys that are coming back over from, you know, North America to, or from Europe to come back and play in North America and have that success. I think, you know, at the same time for like, obviously guys like Tyler Ardron and uh, DTH, like those guys play on another level entirely. And, you know, I'm not going to like, I don't want to see guys necessarily being like, if you can play in super rugby, like go play in super rugby and become better. Or if you can play in the top 14 and make that top 14 money, then definitely go do it. But, you know, I think, I think that's the one thing that the MLR wants to, you know, ultimately strive towards is, you know, be for both Canadian and American players, like be that, you know, be that option. And it's like, you know what, it's bet maybe it's better than going over and playing like division two or division three somewhere. Um, you know, you'd rather play at the highest level within your domestic competition. And, you know, if you can create that as the viable option and like, you know, keep some players at home, you know, kind of even like for like the Toronto Arrows, you can keep a lot of the guys playing together that are on the Canadian national team. Uh, they play together a lot throughout the year and you can build some of that chemistry. You can figure out where guys work and stuff well with each other. Um, and, you know, but, you know, hopefully, you know, that's going to be, I think, ultimately kind of the goal though, is you want to develop guys. And then, you know, the premiership, super rugby, top 14, pro 14, those are still going to be the, the top leagues in the world. And if you can develop guys like, you know, even like Paul Lasique or whatever that can go over and play in the premiership. And, you know, that like, that's fantastic. And it's not like I'm trying to pull guys back from those leagues, but you know, if guys like Dan Moore who are maybe playing in the championship and it's like, if you can give them a viable option to come back, then, you know, I think, you know, it's always great to keep some players within your own country for development purposes. Well, guys, we just got a couple of things we need to touch on again. You know, the draft will be happening this weekend. Um, pretty exciting. We really don't know what it's going to end up looking like. Uh, maybe it'll be awkward like the NFL draft where the GMs and the owners are just kind of sitting at their kitchen tables and, you know, Kilbrew will be sitting in his lounge or is his lounge room and he'll make the draft picks from there or, or what have you. It'll be definitely very fun to watch. And uh, we actually have some live rugby, like Derek mentioned before, coming up this weekend. You know, we're not sure quite yet if TSN will be airing the games yet. I guess uh, ESPN is currently trying to negotiate because they're not sure if this counts as their super rugby contract. But, you know, we've got the Chiefs with Tyler Audron versus the Highlanders. And, and the other big one for us Canadian fans is the, the Blues versus the Hurricanes who have their Arrows partnership. Yeah, see, I'm actually kind of curious now because earlier in the podcast, uh, Stu kind of mentioned his disdain for white jerseys. So obviously the white home or away jersey is a very North American thing. So was drafts. So I'm just kind of curious how, 
you know, as a fan from overseas that has now moved to Canada and watching MLR here, like what's, what was your opinion when, or what were your thoughts when you first heard that major league rugby was doing a draft and like, what do you kind of think of it now that we're, you know, in the midst of the buildup here? Yeah, it's interesting. I think because Canada and sorry, not Canada, Toronto and the Arrows have gone for a very, uh, European approach to player recruitment in that they have set up the Toronto Academy for the Arrow, uh, the Arrows Academy. And that's something that in both rugby and uh, association football or soccer is how it's handled in the UK. It'll be teams will have their academies and they will train players and it will be then that those youngsters will then either go and play for the first 15 or they'll be traded to other teams and get a career there. So for example, Lee Halfpenny, uh, who became obviously very famous Welsh fullback, um, is a Ospreys Academy player, but never played for the Ospreys. He played for Cardiff Blues and then over to France and now he plays for Scarlets. So the draft is interesting because there are over 400 athletes who have state to claim for the draft, but there's only 24 places. So the majority of those guys, unfortunately, are going to leave empty-handed. However, because of the strangers when it comes to the draft is that they can then apply their skills to other teams and it'll be interesting to see um any team that doesn't any player that doesn't get picked if they then end up in mlr for another team and maybe at a reduced rate to what they were hoping it's pretty interesting you know looking at look kind of what he what you just said Stu, is that you know there's only so many draft picks and then the rest of the guys are gonna have to wait for teams to call their names for their camps but you know what it's almost like you're in a better situation because if you get drafted, you have to take the, the minimum deal uh, that, that rookie can take. And you're also stuck with only one team. Like they have your, your negotiating rights. But if you're not picked, you have the pick of a litter as long as you're good enough. If you're good enough and you, know, you play a, a position that's, that's needed, you, know, you might be able to go wherever you want in MLR. So you know. It's definitely interesting in, in, in the mix that we have with the academies and with the draft. I mean, until they say, you know, they either pick one side or the other, we're kind of in this limbo position where some players might actually prefer not to get drafted. So that was something that, that I kind of saw to that that was very interesting. So we're going to see how this all turns out. You know, in the next week we'll have a little bit more to talk about about that draft and maybe we'll get another trade before then, maybe – we'll find out where some of the Glendale players ended up. But uh... I don't know if players would prefer to not get drafted, but like, because like, that's kind of the whole point of this. I think like, I think what major league rugby is trying to do is there, I think the draft will become like a permanent thing. And I think they're going to, because it is something that is super familiar to North American fans. So I think, you know, I think they're going to try to make it a thing and be like one of the the only rugby league in the world that does a draft. But I don't like, I feel like, you know, especially if you're some of the top guys in the draft, you're probably looking forward to it. For sure. And I think 
that's you know whoever ends up going first overall that'll be a prestigious thing you get to say you're the first ever oh yeah it's that's definitely but let me put to you this way it's like say you're a fringe guy like you you you're gonna be the 25th or 26th guy picked would you rather be the guy that's picked 24th or would you like to be the guy that has more options than that guy that 24th pick guy has so definitely you know you would love to be picked and and say that i was picked in the first ever mlr draft but I'm just saying you've got more options to you if, if you're not picked because you can you can go wherever you want if you're willing to move. And, you know, maybe if you're good enough. That's the little asterisk there is, you know, you have to kind of have this, all the cards kind of fall in your, in your deck. You know, you have to make sure you're kind of the right position that's in need, you know, have the skill set and maybe know one or two people. So, you know, those are little asterisks to what I said because it's kind of important to, you know, be wanted. Uh, yeah, so I just about the draft is that what teams are looking for is um, front row prospects from what I've heard. So um, that's the most in-demand position. However, if you're a fly half, <laughs> oh, do I have some bad news for you? Um, yeah, but apparently, if picked. you get picked, yeah, if you somehow, if you're a fly half and you get picked, or any position picked. and get picked. Um, they said that by being picked, you do get the minimum salary of $8,000, which compared to other sports isn't huge, but compared to being a free agent and then having to move to a city. And then if you're only a part-time player, that means taking up another job and then, um, getting paid only per game appearance having that a minimum of 8,000 can make a considerable difference. But as we said, we'll have to uh, watch the draft on Saturday and find out for sure. Well, guys, thank you very much for, uh, for joining me tonight. And uh, we look forward to the next couple of weeks, especially with all the cards kind of falling into place. Um, Go to episode, guys. I'll I'll edit out that last part there, so don't worry. <laughs> I'll take care of that. Well, okay. Sue, thank you very much, man.